0: W. Welcome to One Sweet Dream, a podcast where we explore the dream that was and is the Beatles. This
1: is If I Ran Away From You, our series on the Beatles' breakup. Welcome to Episode 1.
0: You know, if you break my As we approach the 50th anniversary of The Beatles' breakup, one thing seems clear – why it happened remains mysterious. The traditional narrative is steeped in biases and predicated on unchallenged post-breakup spin. These tropes are so ingrained in our collective consciousness that they may be obscuring a more realistic, more logical version of events. It's time to revisit the evidence pressure testing the old tropes and applying sensitivity and emotional intelligence to our analysis. Come with us on a deep, deep dive across several episodes where we unpack and examine the emotional roots of this complex topic. Many factors contributed to the divorce, and we will touch on these. But what we'll primarily focus on here is what we consider the core issue of the breakup, the Lennon-McCartney relationship. In a nutshell, we believe this was all a high-stakes game of chase that spun out of control. The end game was never to end the Beatles or for Lennon and McCartney to separate as a creative partnership. And while we aren't the first to suggest the breakup was a negotiation gone awry, we don't see this as primarily a battle for dominance within the band but rather an elaborate play for respect love appreciation and commitment we believe this attempt to renegotiate the terms of their partnership ultimately and unintentionally resulted in the demise of the beatles join us for this radical retelling of the breakup
1: The traditional story claims that when John said, I want a divorce in September of 69, that that spelled the end of Lennon-McCartney because it was John saying he wanted out. I think it is a defining moment, but not necessarily in the way that it's framed. I think if it was the end, it was because that was when Paul disengaged rather than John. John was trying to renegotiate. And I think because he hit so hard and he chose the words that he did, he overplayed his hand. And he really hurt Paul. And Paul really took him seriously and began to disengage at that point and began to find a way to extricate himself from the Beatles.
0: In the aftermath of the breakup, John claimed this moment as a time when he disengaged, but when we look at his interviews and actions following that, we don't see that they support this statement. We see that he remained highly engaged and we don't think he meant for the breakup to actually happen.
1: You know, I I think in the immediate aftermath of the breakup in 1970, John was embarrassed and hurt and he was scrambling to save face. So, of course, he took the opportunity to go in public and say, well, I didn't, you know, I dumped him. He didn't fucking dump me. Right. Like, he literally goes out and says that. Right. And, of course, all the book writers, whose job it is to help John save face and help him maintain this um, image of, like, being powerful and in control, they all help build this case but the thing is that we have a lot of evidence to the contrary and it's simply not taken into account because it doesn't support the narrative that John was done he was bored he had moved on to other things he barely even you know remembered he was in the Beatles (laughs) because he was so busy doing better things all this type of stuff
0: Right, which is the story we all know. But it ignores the fact that John almost immediately started to walk back his I want a divorce statement. Never mind his contemporaneous comments about how deeply he cared for the Beatles or how Paul could join him. But authors have chosen to take John's bravado statements that he was disinterested and done, <laughs> even though we have evidence to the contrary.
1: Yeah, like like guys never talk shit after a breakup.
0: Right. <laughs> like this is right. a
1: concept to them.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> and they aren't willing to recognize John's deep hurt, mm-hmm. the depth of which even surprised Yoko, by the way.
1: There's an undercurrent there, though.
0: Yeah, a deep undercurrent of emotion and a sense of being the wronged party, mm-hmm. which yeah. authors seem to assign to anger, hurt and anger towards Paul for usurping him and preempting him in the announcement of the breakup of the Beatles with the McCartney release. And while I think this may have been a factor, I think his hurt has much more to do with the fact that Paul seemed to be walking away than the actual statement. Right. You know, Paul always blames Klein for the divorce, and obviously he was a huge element and a major source of conflict and friction between them. But perhaps the most damaging impact of Klein was that he separated and divided Paul and John so that they weren't able to read each other as well. Clearly this confused John because you've got John in 1971 in the St. Regis interview saying that he had asked Lee Eastman why Paul had gone to court and had gone through with everything and Lee said well because you asked him for the divorce and he said well that was childish I mean,
1: yeah. If John's saying, "Well, that was childish of him to give me the divorce I asked for,"
0: right? I mean, right. It's it means that he did not mean it. He did not mean it, and he expected Paul to know that.
1: That that's the only thing it can mean,
0: right? Like like the fact that he's exactly the fact that he's saying, "Well, that's childish." Like how stupid. Who listens to anything I say? You know, (laughs) like Paul should be more grown up than to listen to me.
1: You know. What what did John want? If he said, I want a divorce, if what he wanted was not a divorce, what was it that he wanted? That is what we're going to try to determine.
0: Over the next few episodes?
1: Over the next 642
0: hours. Stay tuned. So to understand the breakup, we think we actually need to go all the way back to 1968 and look at when the real seeds of tension and discord were planted which we believe happened at the beginning to mid 1968 around the Mm -hmm. trip uh, to rishikesh but we suspect that something happened between john and paul something significant enough to seriously impact their relationship and therefore the chemistry of the beatles
1: one problem with the way this story is told is that so often Paul is not even considered a factor in any of this. You know, it's all about John's psychology or Yoko or whatever he was looking for or his dissatisfaction with the band or, you know, whatever else it's attributed to. And because John's post Beatles, post breakup spin never incorporates Paul. Into what he was going through, the books just assumed that Paul had nothing to do with it, which, you know, on its face, is absurd, right? Paul is his partner, the 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 person that he said he was metaphorically married to, right? Right, like he's the McCartney to his Lennon McCartney. I mean, he's clearly, and he's the the co leader of this band. He, he's he's a Beatle. He's an important person, even if you don't think that they are the closest people in the world to each other. Even though we we do have lots of evidence to support that, you know, even if you don't think of them as best friends, like even if you just think of them as these the songwriting partners, you have to acknowledge that they own this empire together. I mean, they're extremely present in each other's lives. So if you're talking about a John Lennon who's going through personal crisis, identity crisis, who's wondering what he should do at this juncture in his life or with his career and his marriage and his band – Logically, you would want to know, oh, so what did your partner think of all this? Nobody asks that question. The the idea that Paul was not even a blip on John's radar is absolutely insane.
0: We're looking at this from a different perspective where we think that they do really matter to each other at this time. Always, but at this time. and Even more so. Even more so. Specifically, we think this is the case because when we look at John's interviews, John and Paul's interviews to Hunter Davies, and they give every indication that they're still extremely close. The other reason I think that we are take seriously their relationship is that following Rishikesh, we see that John's actions and behaviors seem to be in some ways pointed at Paul, and they seem to right. have impacted Paul more than anyone. And we don't think that that's just accidental, that, you know, that Paul was collateral damage, that we think that it was specific and pointed. We're going in with the assumption that these two are extremely important to each other, that they have a pseudo-type marriage, and that they are of primary importance to each other.
1: Yes, and that, like every marriage, when it breaks down, it's not for nothing. Like, there are reasons that John is acting this way. He, He has motives, and he has objectives, and we're just trying to suss out what those are in regards to Paul.
0: Exactly, and that means looking at both John's actual behaviors and looking at Mm -hmm. Paul in this scenario as well. Yes,
1: so let's go ahead and talk about um, the final chapters of Hunter Davies' book. Now, Hunter Davies, as we know, his biography was the only authorized biography of the Beatles ever, Um, and he wrote it in 1967. He had a lot of access to all of the Beatles and Brian and Jane and Astrid and Mimi and a few other people. Pete Shotton talked to him a lot as well. And his book is simple, but it's also extremely useful because there isn't so much of a mythology established yet at this time at this point in time he has large sections where he's simply observing the beatles
0: i mean yes it's hugely important to us because it's observational and it's contemporaneous and it's not post breakup narrative i love the fact that he just observes john not talking for days i mean this Mm -hmm. gives us a lot of information and i think we should look at it
1: so at the end of the book after he has told the basic biography of how the Beatles got to be where they are, he has a, a chapter on each Beatle that is set in present time, sort of profiling them in their domestic situation.
0: These interviews from John are taken right right around uh, the beginning of 1968, which is great. These, this is these are his yeah. contemporaneous thoughts. Right before India, right before India. And it's interesting because the John Lennon that we see at this time is wholeheartedly committed to Paul and the Beatles. Absolutely. You know, and, and this is supported by the fact that even months before John had tried to spearhead relocating himself and the Beatles to the Greek islands. So, you know, John was all in at this point. His his dream was for them all to live on some private Greek island. So this is not a John Lennon that wants to separate himself from the Beatles in 1967.
1: And by the way, it, he doesn't just want them to live together on a Greek island. He wants them all to have interconnected houses Right, that each that they, they like have tubes that connect their homes.
0: <laughs> right. So this is this is not a John Lennon that wants to escape the band. He wants to be as close <laughs> together as
1: <laughs> possible. Yeah,
0: yeah. And he didn't just suggest Greece too. Apparently, he also suggested a town in England, if not Greece, and then his potentially his private Irish island. So he didn't give up on the dream easily.
1: So here, here's uh, Cynthia and Hunter Davies. I do find I suggest something and John just ignores it at the time or says it's wrong. Then a few weeks later, Ringo suggests the same thing and he's all for it. But I don't worry. I can't put it into words, but I feel strong. It's a sense. I understand things. What I would like is a holiday on our own without the Beatles, just John, Julian, and me. You what? said John, smiling. Not even with our Beatle buddies? Yes, Sean, don't you remember we were talking about it last week? Uh, what did we say? We said the three of us could just go off somewhere, not with your beetle buddies. But it's nice to have your mates around. That really offends me. He does think it's not enough just to go with his family. He smiled at her. She shook her head at him. They seem to need you less than you need them, she said. George went off to Los Angeles with Patty, didn't he? He didn't need to get everyone to go with him. John smiled. He agreed it did seem to be true. I did try to go my own way after we stopped touring. I had a few good laughs and games of Monopoly on my film, but it didn't work. I was never so glad to see the others. Seeing them made me feel normal again.
0: Okay, so that was John in early 1968.
1: I mean, it's hard to even fathom the post-India or the post-breakup John Lennon being so vulnerable about how much he needs the Beatles. And he's definitely not saying this to be cute because it doesn't look good. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's not...
0: Well, it doesn't, he it doesn't, doesn't uh, particularly look bad. I mean, it, it, you know, he, he does look dependent on them.
1: Well, that's what I meant. I, I meant he doesn't, it doesn't look cool. Yeah, I mean,
0: it, it, it's, let's just unpack this for a second, because first of all, the relationship between Cynthia and John, although she's putting up with kind of his need for his buddies around, they seem to have an okay relationship. You know, they're, they're, there's sort of a playfulness between them.
1: I agree. I don't think she sounds angry. No,
0: I mean it, there's she's uh, resigned to the situation. You know, as you've said before, that there's sort of an impishness to his behavior. You know, he knows he knows it's not ideal for her, but it's you know yeah. what they've settled He's into. So, shucks. <laughs> yeah. And and you can tell that she provides real security for him. You know, there, there's actually something that is in here that is so important that people haven't focused enough. On, which is the fact that she says, they seem to need you less than you need them. And as you just mentioned, I mean, that is certainly something that John Lennon never admits to going forward. I mean, this is the period where he says that he supposedly was, you know, losing interest in the Beatles.
1: I mean, that might be the most important line of the whole book honestly if we believe it which there is zero reason not to believe it because there's multiple examples of it
0: throughout this book cynthia is saying basically i wish you weren't as dependent on them i wish it was more just us but and he's saying yeah i know but you know what i love them earlier in the same chapter hunter writes
1: this is john speaking If I'm on my own for three days doing nothing, I almost leave myself completely. I'm just not there. Sin doesn't understand it. Ringo understands it. I can discuss it with him. I have to see the others to see myself. I realize then there is someone else like me, so it's satisfying and reassuring. It's frightening really when it gets too bad. I have to see them to establish contact with myself again and come down sometimes i don't come down we were recording the other night and i just wasn't there neither was paul we were like two robots going through the motions and then we talk in code to each other as Beatles. we always did that when we had so many strangers around us on tours we never really communicated with other people now that we don't meet strangers at all there is no need for any communication we understand each other it doesn't matter about the rest Now and again, even though we feel each other, we do have a talking communication session when we have to say things out loud or otherwise we forget what we know we've decided amongst ourselves.
0: Right, which sounds like a recipe for disaster.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, my God. (laughs)
0: <laughs> when they have to have a talking session, just, just <laughs> That's to review what what I know we've already right. mentally exactly you know. agreed upon. Like <laughs> yes. what what did we agree upon? And you know, it's interesting that John wants to do that. I think it reflects how deeply he wants to feel like they're so deeply bonded and so deeply connected. That they can they they have all these magical powers to talk to each other.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it is very sweet and cute. I mean they're you know.
0: I love it. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. you know, it's it makes them very special that they're that close right. that they don't even really need to speak that they just know things. And and you know, and they have experienced something that really nobody else in the world has, you know. That, being, that's legit, actually. Yeah. yeah. So they have experienced this incredible thing, which, you know, probably supports them thinking some of these crazy things. But, you know, so they, they've they experienced this thing. They on, only those four understand what it's like to be a beetle.
1: We also hear them speaking in code in Let It Be, too, We're, when there's cameras around.
0: Right. In fact, they, they speak... Um, in lyrics to each other a lot in mm-hmm. code. First of all, you know, it's hard to decipher their conversations, but also I think that they do speak in lyrics and songs to each other.
1: And yes, and so they do it verbally to each other. We hear them doing it in the Let right. it be tapes, and then they also do it in their songwriting, you know, post nineteen seventy
0: absolutely when to each other. You know, authors give a lot of They pay a lot of lip service to John's childhood and the fact that, you know, John was abandoned by his parents, but this actually does have long-term implications in his other relationships, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't just go back there. It manifests in all of his relationships. John is needy. John doesn't want to be abandoned again, you know, and you can see he's very comfortable with his crew of people. These are people he loves. And in fact, there is another part in this where Cynthia says John's love was for the Beatles without the baby. He would have just gone off with the Beatles forever. And again, coupled with what he just said, she's basically saying that they're together because they had the child because they had Julian and that's kept them together and they have a relationship, but his greater love was for the Beatles and they're settled in this, this routine between the two of them, you know, as again, it's, they're not fighting. This is a play between them. And she said she feels strong. So obviously she feels like she's got some power in the relationship, which perhaps she did not have, but she felt like she had. And I think up until this point, she did have.
1: Well, I don't know. I'll push back on that for a second, because I think she should kind of feel stable because she knows John's not going to leave her. Like the way they break up is like she walks home and Yoko's naked on her couch. I mean, John wasn't like, you know what? I think this isn't working out, babe. (laughs) <laughs> right. I'd like to go, you know, we should break up. I'll give you money, whatever. We should go see other people. Like, that did not happen. He literally went from one long term relationship to the next long term relationship in an absolute unbroken chain.
0: Right. So she so, feels, she should feel strong in that he needs her. He needs her to be there. Here's the thing is that he was able to leave her once he had somebody else in place. But, you know, so her, she should have felt strong that he needed to have a wife or a girlfriend. What he didn't necessarily yes. need was her.
1: Well, that, yes. That, and that's my point. Yeah. But, I mean, she knows that about him. Not to switch forward into time, but he does the same thing with May. He switches May out for Yoko.
0: And he switches Yoko out for May.
1: Exactly. He doesn't, he's never alone at any time.
0: Right. And, you know, it's interesting because you hear a lot about, you know, (laughs) I've read a lot of statements about John Lennon just needing to be free.
1: Oh, give me a break. (laughs) Wow. That's just made up.
0: Well, and you know what? It's just a fallacy. It's just a fallacy that people have bought into because when you actually look at John's behaviors, he needs to have somebody there all the time. John is never out there on his own being independent.
1: Of course not. He's the opposite of that. He, he, he's insecure. Like, do you know what that word means? And he's said it about
0: himself multiple times. Like he admits it. Right. I mean, John's the one that told, has told us all this stuff, you know? And, yes. Yeah. He's constantly craving security. Right.
1: He wants to be wrapped in a blanket and he wants to be locked in a room. And chained chain to somebody. He's not trying to get away.
0: Right. Yes. So I think that this is great for setting the stage that in early 68, you know, John and, and Cynthia are somewhat stable. They It's not ideal for either of them, but she makes the point, And, you know, I'm sure he read this, too, that. Yeah, I mean,
1: she's here on record saying that John needs the other Beatles more than they need him. And he does not push back on her. He agrees.
0: Right, right. And he gives additional evidence <laughs> yeah, right. that he needs them to know who he is. So that's John. Now, if we look at Paul and Paul's situation, we find that that is an extremely different dynamics. Yes, Yes.
1: almost the opposite.
0: I mean, they're they're different people. You know, Paul has proven to be much more independent, as is Jane. And their relationship is very different. You know, she, from all accounts, is very intelligent, very independent, and has a lot of expectations of Paul. Yeah,
1: and she's working. She works overseas for long periods of time. Right. So they're apart for for long stretches, which we all know was difficult for their relationship when they were dating. And I think Paul's expectation was if and when they got married, that then – she would work closer to home.
0: Uh, you know, a number of people have said this about them, that they were a very evenly matched couple. You know, they bro- both brought a lot to the relationship, and I think that's probably what attracted each of them to each other. You know, they, mm-hmm. they were equally talented and independent and, you know, full of flash and charisma. Both cared
1: about their careers, took them seriously, and worked hard. Right.
0: You know, we don't know a lot about Jane because she's the one person in the Beatles world that really... hasn't given any uh, interviews post-breakup. However, we do have some quotes from her during the relationship. She says, When I came back after five months, Paul had changed so much. He was on LSD, which I hadn't shared. I was jealous of all the spiritual experiences he'd had with John. There were 15 people dropping in all day long. The house had changed and was full of stuff I didn't know about. And so... This is what Jane says when she gets back from her U.S. tour, which shows that she is not, you know, first of all, she expresses jealousy. And second of all, she's not totally cool with this situation, that there's so many changes that have been made while she was gone, right?
1: Yeah. Well, there's, you know, the one thing is that she doesn't do drugs. So that would be a very hard situation to be in. Can you imagine being around the Beatles in 1927? I I don't know. I don't know how...
0: She existed with them. I mean, it would would have been terrible. You know, in the midst of all the craziness, the fact that she's so level-headed as to not give in and take drugs means she was probably level-headed in many, many ways for him, you know? Yeah. But she is jealous of, of the experiences and also his, you know, his connection with John, which, again, yeah, yeah. people don't refer to when it comes to John, but clearly it was there, you know? This is something that they both shared. And she she has certain expectations, unlike Cynthia, who we see is sort of resigned and given in to this is the way John is. You know, Jane doesn't necessarily um, subscribe to that kind of way of living. She wants Paul to be her best friend. There's an interview where um, they're all asked, each of the Beatles is asked who their best friend is and they all say each other, whereas Paul answers Jane. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's her expectation
1: Well, and that's a reasonable expectation for a spouse, right? Like, if they're going to get married. So, and Hunter makes that point, too. So, he writes in his book, Jane and Paul make a very loving and lovely couple. Everyone agrees on this. Paul and Jane have more time together on their own than probably the other Beatle couples. They do get away together to places like their Scottish home, thanks to Jane. And they were the first to want to move to the country for good, to a quieter, smaller house which John and George now also want to do. Paul's life is much quieter and more ordered now. Paul is very communicative about himself, unlike the others. He talks everything over with Jane. She knows what he's thinking.
0: This is a pretty incredible contrast to what we see with John and Cynthia. And again, we've got John wanting to all go and live together in Greece, whereas Paul, who has chosen already to not live with the other Beatles, has... I guess decided with Jane that they plan to move further into the country. So we just see that they're on different pages here, you know, that that Paul and they have different expectations. Another thing that was
1: really striking to me is that Paul and Jane in 1967 when they're finished with Magical Mystery Tour, they have all this Beatle time together and then at the end of all the Beatle time, Jane and Paul go to Scotland for three weeks. That's a really long time for just two people.
0: <laughs> right. With yes, it,
1: it really is a long time.
0: It really is a long time in a barely functional farmhouse in, you know, Scotland that's probably like pitch black for three quarters of the day. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, and they get
1: engaged at the end of that trip. If you, if you spend three weeks with someone and then you get engaged, like that must have been a good trip.
0: I can imagine it would be good to get Paul away from... The London scene, you know, then the women, the drugs. I mean, that was probably a really nice opportunity, but it does speak to how well they did get along when it was just the two of them. Yeah. You know, and we see they get engaged in December 1967, and we think this may be a period that Paul and Jane make a real effort to make things work. We think that they do really love each mm-hmm. other, but they seem to be much more intense. Uh, you know, that people yes. say that they're a good couple. But we also know from anecdotes that they are um, more volatile, you know. So this seems to be a period where they're happy and they're really actively trying to make things work.
1: Well, and I think that's the operative word because I think their relationship was more work. Paul and Jane take a lot more work. They seem to fight more. They seem to break up more. Yeah, yeah
0: which probably kept the relationship spicy, you know, For and sure. in, and interesting. Yeah. But I think specifically the fact that she wasn't willing, unlike any of the other Beatles' wives, she wasn't willing to be number 2. She wanted to be number 1 always. Yes. And you know, and I think that's re- reflected by the fact that when she comes back from her trip, you know, she's not happy about the fact she feels jealous that she wasn't the one to take, you know, LSD with Paul that he has this new depth of spiritual experience with John in that quote from Hunter where she talks about or when he talks about them coming back from India and her preferring for them to reach spiritual enlightenment together again it's like they're the couple she doesn't want Paul to be the couple with the Beatles
1: right she's like don't tell me about spiritual experiences with John I don't want to hear that shit I want to, you know, I want it to be with us.
0: Yes, it's us that are going to
1: get there together. Once again, to set the scene here, you know, we, we've we got a situation where John is extremely dedicated to the Beatles and needy of the other Beatles to the point where his wife is calling him out on it in front of the biographer. And then on the other hand, Paul disappears for three solid weeks with Jane and comes back engaged. I have never seen a single Beatles book that even suggested the possibility that that could have had any sort of effect on the Beatles or on the Lennon-McCartney partnership or John's view of the future or John's insecurity at all. But I think it's extremely plausible that it might
0: have had some effect. And we know that John's biggest fear in life is being abandoned. You know that there could be some subconscious or conscious fear Mm -hmm. that this is going to change the situation.
1: Well, and, and logically, how would it not change the situation? If, like, for example, in 1967, when Jane leaves, um, she goes on tour in the U.S. for four months, and John and Paul write the Sgt. Pepper album. I mean, John has more or less unfettered access to Paul for four months. And can stay at his house, and they could effectively live together for, you know, months on end.
0: And George Martin when, makes this point that John often stayed at Paul's place because it was better for the songwriting. And so, you know, they, they share this extreme closeness when she's gone. The the spring of 68 is uh, 67 is very good for Paul and John. You know, they, they write Sergeant Pepper and then they go into all you need is love. And then that's when John is trying to get them to go to buy an Island and live together in Greece. I mean, certainly forever. Yeah. Forever. (laughs) So all, all is going quite well when they actually have a lot to do with each other and physic. you know, when they have a lot of physical um, interaction and when, when they're not separated by distance. That's right. Well, that's my impression of them actually over over time
1: is that I think when John and Paul are together it works and then when they're apart it starts to not work as well.
0: I think that's an important point to think of because I think that especially on John's side, probably on both of their sides, but especially on John's side, I think, you know, he tends to get really into his mind and, you know, he admits himself that he gets very paranoid. And so I think that when they see each other regularly, they communicate better. And when they are separated and they're not checking in and they're not able to read each other's body language and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. is when John's thinking starts to spin.
1: Yeah. Right. And that, that, that all fits with everything that we know about him.
0: So we've talked a lot about Jane, but the point is that fundamentally it's not about Jane per se. Jane, is important because of what she represents to John which is competition for importance in Paul's world. Paul trusts her and listens to her which is a role that John wants to have as you know the most important most influential person in Paul's life but she also represents Paul's inevitable movement towards greater independence and focus on things like family which means things could change in a scary way for John. So you even see themes in his music of John not wanting things to change. Mm. Nothing's going
1: to change my world.
0: Exactly. John may have other things going on in his life, but I think fundamentally, no matter what, John does not want to be left. Yeah. And if anyone leaves, it's going to be John Lennon.
1: If being abandoned is John's greatest fear at least on an unconscious level, if not on a conscious level, certainly it's reasonable to assume that, that it would be triggered by various things.
0: You know, Cynthia's made this point here that he seems to need the other Beatles more than they need him. The importance of this comment is highlighted by John himself in the early 70s. You know, he comments uh, when talking about his learnings with Janov, and it shows that he's totally cognizant of this fact that the worst pain for him is needing or loving others more than they love him he says um the worst pain is that of not being wanted of realizing your parents do not need you in the way you need them when i was a child i experienced moments of not wanting to see the ugliness not wanting to see not being wanted this lack of love went into my eyes and into my mind so that's an interview that john gave with robin blackburn and Tariq Ali for Red Mole in 1971. But I I think it's really important that he says the worst pain is that of not being wanted and of realizing your parents do not need you in the way you need them. And that sounds exactly like what Cynthia has just said, right? Yeah. At the same time, they're starting a company together. You know, this is when they, you know, they're they're developing Apple. So they are committed to each other in terms of Apple. And they all do go to India together. You know, John and George go a couple of days before Paul and Ring go, but they're all committed to going together. So I think that, you know, while there was this potential trigger of insecurity, there's still a lot of things that tie them together, right? For sure.
1: But it's a it's a there's a fine line though between being emotionally tied together and being business tied together
0: right and again i think you know people looking at this might just say well you know the other three were married it was time for him to get married but there's a difference again Jane's unusual in this crew of women and that she had a full career going on and that she was not willing to take a back seat. So that sets them up as a very different couple than everyone else. And the fact yes. that they communicate more and are more willing to be separate from them, again, you know, destabilizes. Really what we know that John was looking for in 1967 was for them to all be committed and together. So you have this issue, but for the time being, Things seem okay as they still have a company that they just started together. And they're all committed to the Maharishi and to going to India.
1: Here's another issue that I think is potentially very important to this story and I think is worth spending some time on. This is from Philip Norman's book that was published in 2008 called John Lennon, The Life. And it's a section from the 1971 era when John and Yoko are recording Imagine. And it involves a conversation that Philip Norman
0: had with Yoko. Indeed, John's wounded anger was more that of an ex-spouse than ex-colleague reinforcing a suspicion already in Yoko's mind that his feelings for Paul had been far more intense than the world at large ever guessed. From chance remarks he had made, she gathered there had even been a moment when, on principle that bohemians should try everything, that he, John, had contemplated an affair with Paul, but had been deterred by Paul's immovable heterosexuality. I knew there was something going on there, she remembers, from his point of view, not from Paul's and he was so angry at paul i couldn't help wondering what it was really about
1: so the the frustrating part about this is that it almost it it almost um provides more questions than it does answers actually um because there's not a lot of detail in it yeah like uh, you know, for example, we don't know if this means that John actually proposed something to Paul yep. or if he just thought it, um, which, it, you know, in some ways could not matter, but in some ways could make a big difference, you know?
0: Well, w- the way it's written here, it suggests that he contemplated it and then didn't move on it. Because he didn't think that Paul would agree to would it. Would be
1: up for it. That's for how it. I take it. Yeah. That's how I take it. Because contemplated implies that he thought it, but he didn't propose it.
0: Well it says and he deterred he was deterred by Paul, so yes.
1: It's not crystal I mean, clear, is what I'm saying. But it did yeah, yeah. I take it, it it I take it as though he didn't actually follow through with a proposition. He just thought about it.
0: Right. Um I agree.
1: So I think it could also mean that John sort of felt him out Mm -hmm. and was, and was deterred from pushing it because what's the conversation, you know, what is he saying? Is he, I'm, I'm assuming he said something like, Oh no, trust me. That's a no go zone with Paul or, you know what I mean? Like he said something that indicated to her that he, that he got the message.
0: I cannot believe he admitted that to Yoko. But, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's shocking. But um, but I think that I think that something that's really important to think of is this is an idea that had been in his mind during the Beatles. It is something, you know, maybe it was just a passing thought, but there was at some point that he contemplated this, you know, that they were close enough that maybe he thought that this is something that they could both explore, you know? I mean, it's just, it's just interesting to think that that actually was going through his mind at some point.
1: You well, Yeah, no, no, it's not. I, I think it's not just interesting. It's important. It's actually something that we need to, we need to factor in because this is his, this is like his best friend and the most important person to him in the world. And we know like how close they are and how much they love each other. So it's not like a, it's, it's not, um, not a big deal. You know what I'm saying?
0: Right, right. Like beca-
1: because of all that, because it's so loaded,
0: right? because
1: there's so much involved, because they're already so close. This is, they're already yeah. so deeply involved in every aspect of each other's lives. Right. And also he doesn't say, he, you know, John had contemplated giving Paul a blowjob. He said, you know, he had contemplated an affair with Paul, which, you know, that's different.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that word stands out to me too. And it's hard to know what... Is Normans or what are Normans or Yoko's words versus what were John's? But the word, right? The word affair to me suggests something longer. Right. You know, I take it more as you know a longer term thing. You know, so, some kind of involvement.
1: Well, and also it's like, why would he be so? If it was like John had just contemplated a BJ or something, then like, why is it such a big deal that he's still fuming about it? in 1971? Do you know what I mean? Like, why is he why right. is he still filling journals about Paul in 1980 if it's just a, you know, if it's just like, oh, I just thought he was hot, you know?
0: Right, right, right. Who yes. cares?
1: Like, what's the big deal? Yes. <laughs> like, it's, I mean, everybody thinks Paul's hot. Yeah. That's, I don't care about that. Like, that's, that's not the important takeaway for me. The important takeaway for me is that John is hurt
0: Well, absolutely. I mean, that that first statement, John's wounded anger, was more more that of an ex-spouse than an ex-colleague. He always refers to Paul as, or their relationship as a marriage, as their partnership as a marriage. And, you know, so that, and this statement suggests that the feelings were the same as a marriage, too. You know, the hurt went as deeply as a marriage.
1: Right. The direct quote of Yoko's, you know, I knew there was something going on there from John's point of view, Not from Paul's, which could just be her covering her ass and saying, you know, don't get mad at me, Paul. I'm not saying that you wanted to, you know, be John's boyfriend or anything. (laughs) Yeah. She, but she, she makes the point. He was so angry at Paul. I couldn't help wondering what it was really about, meaning it's not about all this bullshit that he says it's about.
0: Right. And I think that that's, you know, this is really getting to the crux of what we're trying to say and discuss Mm-hmm. which was that people have only read the surface level, you know, of uh, they've taken John's anger at, at face value. And what we're trying to see, see is to get underneath that and say, why is was he so angry? What is he really so angry about? Right. You know, yes. which, which is what, you know, Yoko is pointing us to that. That's even she didn't really know. She knew that what he was saying wasn't the truth. She knew there was something else. There. Right. Right
1: but i think and she and she says that she had suspected it from probably jump you know
0: yeah well does she say that there
1: well she says reinforcing a suspicion already in yoko's mind
0: and the fact that he feels close enough to consider an affair with him suggests you know both levels of of attraction but like you said that's sort of like I don't know. I don't know. Who if these, cares? Who cares? Yeah. These guys have had so much sex that, you know, that's just sort of incidental. Like, yes, it's an exploration, but I think that you don't choose to have experimental sex with the most important person in your life.
1: Traditionally, you don't. Like, It's like, that's probably the, that's the sex that could destroy your life. Basically, I mean, that's the, the you know,
0: right. Right, I mean that exactly. That's the highest stakes person.
1: Idea. It's the yes. It's the worst idea you could have. (laughs) It's a terrible idea.
0: (laughs) Right. So if it was just about sex, one would think he would find another hot guy. You know, and I'm I'm sure there's like hanging
1: outside the house. Right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly.
1: You know, we don't know if this is something that he wanted for years. We don't know if it was a passing thought. You know, maybe he was like well, that was fucking temporary insanity on my right, part. What, right, you know, right, right. like maybe it just came into his mind and he thought about it for a while. And then he was like, what the
0: fuck? Yeah. And, no. and certainly that would not be inconsistent for John. He, you know, thought many crazy things, you know? Right. He, yeah,
1: exactly. He thought he was Jesus in the boardroom. <laughs> right.
0: yeah. So, and, and that could have been how Paul took it. Like, Oh, you know, exactly, what, what's, exactly. what's next, John? Even if it had been a passing fancy and Paul would have said, you are ridiculous, John, this is another, your things, I still think he would have been hurt by that, you know?
1: Well, yeah, that's what I was about to reinforce is that no matter, no matter how long he thought about it or if he said anything about it or what, you know, whatever it was, the takeaway is that John was, felt hurt and rejected by Paul in some way. You know, maybe it was a real rejection. Maybe it was an imagined rejection right you know and and I think was you, an implied re- rejection you know and, what i'm saying like maybe he just sort of like you know maybe he obliquely proposed it and, and paul <laughs> and paul obliquely said no,
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> yes i think that that if i had to guess that's probably the most likely scenario
1: It could have been so many things we, so the the point is like, those are details that we don't know. So we have to table that because we don't know,
0: you know, I think that, but this gives us a lot of information that John did feel extremely close to Paul that, you know, he, his, his depth of his anger was, and hurt was that of somebody who was separating from a spouse. And that, like you said, that this was something that Yoko had noticed and suspected from the start, and it was coming much more from John's side.
1: Yes, all very, very important, very important points. And then the last thing that I want to point out, too, is that I think we can also assume that this happened prior to John's dating Yoko.
0: Yeah, well, one would assume.
1: Right? Because, right. I, you know, he's probably not going to tell her, like, that he was thinking of an affair with Paul after they dated, after John and Yoko started dating. So it, So we can assume that it happened before May of 1968, right. and judging on how John and Paul are prior to India versus what happens to them post india i think we could probably ballpark it to being somewhere if not if not in india then it's probably somewhere let's say in that like 6 month period or right whatever. right the, the period mean, that we're talking about
0: yeah i mean if you look at this again the important words are wounded anger but but i think you're right that the the anger the woundedness those are things that weren't present in January 1968. That's right. And that yes. anger and hurt seemed to occur after, uh, after the spring of 1968. Yes. Right?
1: yes, yes.
0: So Paul might not have been privy to this. John may have made this decision or have thought about this and not communicated to Paul. And then afterwards, Paul doesn't really know what's gone through John's mind.
1: Right. Like John may have come to his own conclusions without ever even consulting Paul about it. Right.
0: Exactly. And so then you end up with a very confused Paul that probably knows that John is mad at him for something. Correct. But doesn't necessarily know
1: why the source. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. And the, and remember that John thinks that they can feel each other and they don't right. have to talk.
0: Right. They have psychic communication, which is interesting, actually, because in John's mind, he's thinking, well, Paul knows what I'm thinking and he's choosing not to do it. So that's my answer. And, you know, that may very well not be the case at all. Paul may not have a clue what John's thinking and just knows that John seems unhappy about something.
1: Right. And like anyone who has been in any kind of relationship can tell you that's not going to work out well. There's right. going to be a lot of hurt feelings and a lot of confusion and a lot of like, you should know why I'm mad at you.
0: Yes. And and so and you've got Paul, who's not, you know, itself admittedly is not the best communicator when it comes to feelings. You know, is certainly not going to chase John to find out what's going on. And is
1: certainly not going to bring up delicate topics that he'd rather avoid. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> so, yes, this is, a, this is another recipe for disaster. The reason to discuss this is not because we think it's vital to their connection. We believe the underlying dynamics of their relationship are all about love and commitment, regardless of any sexual element.
1: We just think that this element may have occasionally been a
0: complicating factor that, you know, that this may have had real implications.
1: To be clear, I'm not suggesting, and I don't think that Norman or Yoko are suggesting, that all of John's behaviors, motivations, and problems can be attributed to this particular issue with Paul. But I, I do think it's plausible that a lot of his behavior, at least towards Paul specifically and the Beatles, might be greatly illuminated by this information. You can't just bury or ignore important information like this because you don't like it or because it throws a wrench into conventional wisdom. Because conventional wisdom can be extremely dangerous, right? We should all know that by now. So responsibly what someone has to do is to re-examine the Beatles story or at the very least the breakup with this information about John and Paul in mind.
0: I mean, again, we don't know how much how much this played into it, but it is a factor. It is something to take into consideration, right? And if the point
1: is that we haven't gotten a satisfactory explanation for why all of this happened, any new information we have could be potentially extremely useful
0: Right. And this is specifically right? coming from Yoko. You know, this is why we're taking it seriously is it's coming from a primary source. And it concerns John
1: Lennon and Paul McCartney. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not like John and Pete Shotton or so. you know what right. I'm saying? Right. It's, it's like the absolute core of the Beatles. Right. Very important information. And like, I think people are just too embarrassed to talk about it. Like they, when it is brought up on other podcasts and stuff, I know that all the jean jackets like snicker about it. (laughs) You know, like the boys locker room at gym class or
0: something. Yeah. I think they were more, um, because they can't be laughing at the, the Yoko statement because that's what, Yoko. you know, that's Yoko's retelling of what John told her exactly so what's so so what
1: is the part that people are so resistant to i don't even think it's like oh okay well they can accept that john's a bohemian or something yeah maybe he thought about having an affair with paul but that doesn't mean it that doesn't mean he cared about him or anything
0: right right
1: is that where is that where we're going with this yes Okay, so maybe the embarrassed, the the embarrassing element is talking about feelings. Is that it? Because it's not, it feels too mushy or something. Well,
0: I think that 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 to to admit that would be to understand that John really loved Paul, and I think that people are more com- comfortable th- thinking that John only really you know had great love for Yoko
1: because that's heterosexual or something.
0: No, I honestly think. I honestly think that they're more comfortable believing that John didn't love Paul that much.
1: Yeah. But why? That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I, I I feel like that's, there's so much tied into that idea. And it's like, I feel like that is propping up a lot of beliefs that people are really afraid to let go of. And I don't, I, I can't really get to what it is.
0: Like you said, it's like the sex thing doesn't bother them that much because, you know, jean jackets are fully willing to embrace Mm -hmm. the fact that maybe something happened with Stu or maybe there was something that happened with Brian. And, you know, they can write, write that off as just John being John and experimental. And that's cool. They have no issue with that. The fundamental issue is that they have a heart. They want Paul to love John more than John loves Paul.
1: Yes. Yes. I think that is it. I think that's, I think a lot of people are hung up on that. They want Paul to be like the pining unrequited. Is that it?
0: Yes. Well, I don't even know if that, I just think it's, it means, it means if John loves Paul equally or more, mm-hmm. then Paul has equal power in the relationship. They don't want that.
1: Yeah. Don't you think? I I yes, I agree, it, but and I don't really understand why though. Well, I think yeah. there's an
0: emotional issue behind it. Yeah. you know, like there there's a reason they're holding on to this narrative, and I think I think it's because they love John most. They see John as the leader, and therefore everybody has to be in the same. They put everybody into their same position, you know, as loving John most. And if John loves Paul equally, then yeah, then Paul has equal power in their relationship.
1: Well, but you and I both think that much of Paul's behavior reflects that power.
0: Right. Yes, absolutely. I've always thought his actions reflected a strength and power in the relationship. But Beetledom romanticizes Paul's feelings for John. Yes. And not vice versa. Yes.
1: Yeah, it's like they don't even know what to do with John's feelings for Paul. They don't even, they're like, well, he didn't detail them to Rolling Stone, so they must not exist. <laughs> right. What, what? How else is gonna, John going to say it? I mean, what's he going to say? He's not going to tell Rolling Stone magazine, like, yeah, I desperately wanted Paul, but he wasn't there for me. So I had to find somebody else, and Yoko had been stalking me for years. So I just said, "You know, come on in." And, and,
0: and after a week of taking LSD, she showed up and said, "I see you," and she seemed like the answer. Yeah. And
1: and I thought, "Wow, this will piss Paul off." That's true. yeah. I mean, he's like he's not. He of course he's not going to say that. He's going to be like,
0: "Yeah, but we yeah. we've got a version of that from Klein." I mean, not exactly like that. Right. But we've got the.
1: John told Alan Klein that he loved Paul, but that every time he let his guard down, Paul hurt him.
0: So, in February, we see all of the Beatles go to India. And, you know, from all accounts, it seems to have been fairly joyous for the first little while. You know, we've got pictures where they look fantastic, things seem to be going well. We've got testimony that Paul and John are getting along well and sneaking off to write songs together in the afternoon. And we've also got uh, recollections that Jane and Paul are very close, the most outwardly affectionate of the couples. And we see that both Paul and John are, and George are all prolific Mm -hmm. during this period, and, and That, you know, potentially this is John's dream come true and that, you know, he wanted to relocate everybody to Greece. But in some ways, I think his desire was to have them all contained and together. Then at some point we see that John takes a turn for the worse. We don't know when this happened exactly. We just know that there's a a difference in his music. You know, transition from from dreamy music to all of a sudden very depressed music. We do know that Paul heads home after four weeks and John stays on for another three. So at some point, Paul leaves India with Jane. And we don't really know why Paul leaves. There's various, you know, uh, reasons that are given for why they left. But... You know, they, they say that they got out of it what they wanted, they look good when they get back, they have an interview with Hunter that suggests that they're close when they get back, that, you know, that it was a positive experience. But also, in many years from now, it's acknowledged that Paul knows John was going through something difficult in India that are tied to childhood issues.
1: We all assume, I think, that the childhood issues are abandonment.
0: Right, exactly. I mean, it could be anything, but that, that that's, you know, the one that we know best. However, knowing what we know about John Lennon, I think it's worth just considering that maybe Paul leaving when he may have been going through something could have been significant to John. You know, the the thought that Paul would leave him or could leave him might have devastated him. Or it might have just given him some information. Uh, that he internalized and decided was meaningful and representative of Paul's priorities, which maybe looked like they were Jane or Apple or anything other than him. In We're just hypothesizing, but Paul leaving may have led John to conclude that he was more invested in their partnership than Paul was.
1: Now, it's important to remember that John and probably also Paul, although John is the one who speaks on it, believes that he and Paul communicate best through music, right? I mean, he believes that they also can, they have telepathy and can read each other's minds, I guess. But he makes the point to Hunter that um, talking is too slow and that music is faster and better.
0: So music as a means of communication comes up repeatedly, specifically by John in 67 and again in 76 and then in 1980. You know, in fact, uh, Robert Rosen refers to the fact that in John's diaries, he writes about how he thinks Paul is communicating to him through his music, which is, you know, which is pretty amazing. I mean, you know, it suggests that these two great composers do talk to each other through songs. You know, it's kind of like they do have a different language Uh or a Uh sort of, telepathy. And this is how they communicate. And I kind of love that idea. But I think it also suggests that we should be looking at what they are writing. So clearly, we don't know who these songs are about. But we think it's worth looking at the themes.
1: John says that the songs that he says are from his heart that are genuine are I'm so tired and you're blues. Like he literally calls it out. Right,
0: right. He flags those. Right. Lennon remembers, right? Yes. When when you do, st- if you're on holiday or in therapy or wherever you are, if you spend time, like in India, I wrote the, the last batch of best songs, you know, where I could write a lot like I'm so tired and you're yeah, blues, where they were pretty sort of realistic, you know, they were about me. And it always struck me as, uh, fu- not what's the word, funny, Ironic or something that I was writing in supposedly in with the, in the presence of guru and meditating so many hours a day. I was writing I'm so tired and and uh, you know songs of such pain as your blues, which I meant. It wasn't just mm-hmm. me. Right, you know, I was trying to express it in blues idiom because cold But that was that was I was writing Maharishi's camp. Writing I want to die. You know.
1: So he says these are his real songs. I'm so tired, and you're blues. So I would just like to ask why John is suddenly so lonely he wants to die. What does that mean? Because Cynthia is still there with him in India, even though he kicked her out of the room. But, like you know, he's not saying, like, my marriage is falling apart or, like, you know, the thrill is gone. And specifically, the point of, like, why he wants to die is because he's so lonely. Like, he's specifically using Mm -hmm. that word.
0: This is more about someone being distraught, devastated, and alone after something has happened. You know, this isn't, the response of someone whose relationship has just, you know, sadly fizzled out out of boredom or something, you know, this is about a great pain and wanting to escape that pain. And it certainly doesn't reflect the joy or excitement of a new relationship.
1: He's so lonely. And again, he's not lonely. He has literally his entire support system with him, except Paul
0: and, and, and Ringo. Yeah. No, I agree. And, and it, what's interesting is the change from at the beginning child of nature where he says that the dream i had was true you know which was a much more optimistic song so yeah. we have over the course of his visit in india or his i don't know well we it's, it's
1: a, i mean the child of nature is like i'm just a child of nature i don't need much to set me free i don't need much to set me free when something simple will give him relief Right. That's the point of that song, and it, you know, I just need a little bit. I just need a little, and I will be, I, I will be at peace.
0: Well, yes, I agree, and but also, to, what's intriguing to me in that is that he seems to be getting it because he says the dream I had was true. You know, that it, it, he's very close to it, and it's something that he wants, and it's almost be yeah. true.
1: On the road to Rishikesh, I was dreaming more or less.
0: Yeah. Yeah, uh, the dream or ends the dream with the end of the Beatles, mm-hmm. right? Oh and yeah, he...
1: the dream is definitely involves the Beatles and specifically involves his breakup with Paul because that's when the dream dies, right? Because because at the end when the dream dies and he doesn't believe in the Beatles anymore, what does he believe in still? Yoko,
0: just himself and Yoko.
1: So the dream is not Yoko, the dream dies and then what he has left is yoko um
0: but if we look at i'm so tired too i mean you know he's he's frustrated here i mean his mind is going around about something that he's obsessing about right yes and so and he's he's i think the song sounds like it's to somebody he knows because he says um but I know what you would do, you know? Right, exactly. I, I wonder if it, I should call you, but I know what you would do. And,
1: and people say, like, oh, he's, he's, th- he's talking about calling Yoko. Like, what, why would he call Yoko? What, <laughs> what is she going to do? And why would he, like, so John knows that if he calls Yoko, she's going to minimize his pain and not take him seriously? What, is, what are you talking about? Right,
0: right, How exactly.
1: Does, I just make that make sense to me.
0: He also says, you'd say I'm putting you on, but it's no joke. It's doing me harm, you know? And again, this idea of like, would Yoko really think that he was just kidding? After she's been desperately trying to, you know, get with him for a couple years. Hook up with him. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Bond with him. Do anything.
0: Right. She
1: wouldn't tell. She'd (laughs) validate every... I mean, that's the whole point of Yoko, is that she validates everything John says.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So what is driving him insane?
0: Yeah, and and who's the person that would think he's putting them on?
1: And who is that that same person who can give him the peace of mind that he's begging for?
0: Right. Well, we don't know directly. But we do know it's probably not Yoko.
1: Right. I mean, that that analysis just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, that to me is very sloppy and just lazy.
0: So it's it's not, just it, lazy. It is. And you know what? And and again, it's I, I am shocked, shocked at how many authors have just taken John at his word when there's lots of evidence from John himself who says that he lies, that he believes it in the moment, but then he, you know, doesn't the next moment. I mean,
1: whatever John says, it's just like, well, case closed.
0: <laughs> I know when yeah. pa- pa- Paul says something, it's like, he must be lying. In,
1: in fairness, though, he never says that he wrote Your Blues or I'm So Tired about Yoko. He he never said that.
0: Yeah, but what, what he does say is that he what, was thinking about her, right? Or he says that he was well, no, no. subconsciously he he, falling in love?
1: He said he was thinking about her um, platonically and that in retrospect... <laughs> He realized that he was thinking, like, after he fell in love with her, he realized he was thinking about her because he must have been falling in love with her. No, right, right. uh, Fine, let's give him that, okay? Nevertheless, how is, I, I wonder if I should call you, but I know what you would do. You'd say, I'm putting you on, but this is no joke. It's doing me harm. It's been three weeks. I'm going insane. Right. How is that about the person that he's sort of platonically interested in vaguely as an artist?
0: Yeah. And and interestingly, you know, when they have this conversation in Lennon Remembers, Yoko specifically cuts him off and says that, you know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter who the song is about. John just goes about falling in love with all kinds of people. Um, The point is the output. I just think that... you know, he just goes on falling in love with all sorts of things. But it's like, say, he, he fell in love with some girl or something and he wrote a song. Who he, he fell in love is not very important. It's the outcome of it. You know, the song itself is important. So she's saying, focus on the song, not what it's about. You know, and, and you know, we have talked about this, but I always find that it's like, a, don't look here. Like, it would have almost been better if Yoko had not said that, except for yes. I don't, like, because she said that, I feel like, okay, who is the song about that she does not want us to right. focus on?
1: I mean, not that anybody noticed, but us, because, like, nobody pays attention. No,
0: I know. but this And is, for some
1: reason, like, nobody wants to know what John's songs are about. Like, nobody really, for as insane as John Lennon fans are, and as, like... As much as, his, as he's written about, no one really takes his songs apart. They really don't. They, no, they go, oh, they're all about Yoko. Like, that's literally
0: it. Like everything. No, 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 Julia as well. You know, one other song that I find intriguing, we don't know, we don't have a demo from it, but we know it was written there, was Look At Me. And, oh, you yeah. know, just looking at the theme of that song... um, is a cry for attention right you know John's struggling to figure out who he's supposed to be and specifically he calls out somebody you know whoever he's speaking to you know for a definition of who they are so just to be clear when we talk about John and Paul and their partnership we're not necessarily talking about anything romantic or sexual you know even the song is not particularly romantic or sexual but there is a reference to a deep love, which they definitely have. So we think it could apply to them. And I think that we both believe—certainly I believe—that that their their identities are so entwined that you know they're almost you know they fuse their names with Lennon and McCartney. And I think that you know this is the problem for them. It's not that they're drifting apart; yeah. it's that they're so close. The, yeah.
1: The thing about "Look at Me" is we don't have an Esher demo. We do have a demo from later in that summer, or like the fall, I think it's from like September of 68 or whatever, and we know that it was written in India. The version that ends up on Plastic Ono Band two years later has basically the same lyrics that are in the demo from 1968.
0: When it was released, you know, that's when Yoko and John were really close, so it would have made sense. Especially the fact that they were eking out this new place in culture. Oh. However, when we actually realized that the song was written then, you know, it, to me it speaks to how potentially close John and Paul are. It's a, just an unusual song for a couple that claims to be so close at this point. You know, it's. It's sort of wondering who they are, what their status is. What can I, I do for you? How about that? And what am I supposed to do?
1: So it's a song about somebody in crisis cannot define this relationship, doesn't know which way to go forward.
0: Right, and he he's talking to somebody that knows him extremely deeply because it's you right. know it's only you and me can see, and right. you know it just if you if you think about. That being written when John is with Yoko in the summer of '68, it doesn't really fit no. their the stage of their relationship. You know, they're like fully in a relationship. They're c- committed. They're living together, and, and everybody it, you know, can see
1: that. Yeah, is and not an issue. <laughs> everybody exactly. knows about John and Yoko,
0: so they are not so, on the DL. Yes. No, they're they are definitely <laughs> not on the download. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah
1: yet yeah. remember that john just admitted to hunter that he can't go more than three days without seeing the others the other beetles he said i need to see them to know who i am okay paul 30 years after the fact describes an acid trip that he took with john in march 1967 where they dissolved into each other and could see themselves like inside each other Which, you know, in retrospect, Paul describes it as being somewhat
0: disturbing. Right. You see, even in their trip, he loves the closeness and then has to continually go outside. You know, so there's this sort of desire for some closeness and desire for some space.
1: This is Paul's quote from Barry Miles as many years from now. He said, me and John, we'd known each other for a long time. Along with George and Ringo, we were best mates. And we looked into each other's eyes. The eye contact thing we used to do, which is fairly mind-boggling. You dissolve into each other. But that's what we did round about that time. That's what we did a lot. And it was amazing. You're looking into each other's eyes, and you would want to look away, but you wouldn't. And you would see yourself and the other person. It was a very freaky experience, and I was totally blown away. There's something disturbing about it you ask yourself, how do you come back from it? How do you then lead a normal life after that? And the answer is, you don't.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's pretty extraordinary. The fact that he retained the experience and is telling this many years later suggests how important it was to him. Part of him finds this extremely exciting to be so close to somebody but also so terrifying that they're almost losing themselves in each other.
1: When he's talking about the trip, he describes how he would have to get up and leave the house every so often. Right,
0: for his health.
1: Right, and like definitely implying that he was feeling smothered. But we also know that he finds it exciting because he he evangelizes to Jane and to Derek about it.
0: Well, and I think that that's um, an interesting point because that to me suggests that you you do have this tension with within Paul that you know part of him seems to be into it and then part of him seems to be right right you know uh, repelled by it you see this sort of attraction and yes and repulsion and it, and he goes to bed which is shocking yes he just <laughs> did just John point.
1: like halfway through you know when you're on acid and someone's like. I need to get away from you right now like how are you not going to take this a personal rejection
0: well that you know i think about that like if i were on a trip with somebody and they left me i mean i think that would like burn deeply into my mind a sense of rejection you know and hurt yeah and he says that john says you're not going to sleep so it's not like he was tired he just needed space
1: yeah yeah and then and then if afterwards paul you know once he sobered up maybe he was like holy shit that was awesome you know maybe it's less scary once he's out of it and and then he's he's like that was super cool you know but it would i mean john would still know that there were misgivings there and so if he didn't feel like paul was really committed to it you could see how it would create some doubt there.
0: John's getting real mix, mixed messages from signals. Paul. Yeah, exactly. And, and so at some point, it's understandable how he would want clarification. In that song,
1: Look at Me, he's struggling to define who are we? What are the boundaries? What do we mean to each other?
0: Right. I think that John wants to become one with someone, you know, whereas, whereas in the trip that they take together, Paul basically talks about the fact that he loves the closeness with John but also needs some freedom.
1: That seems to be the trajectory of their relationship from like 66 through 68. Paul needs
0: space. Right and it's funny to me that authors always associate the need for freedom with John because I think he was kind of he was constantly pushing back against the culture his counterculture and wanted to rebel. However That's a different issue than needing space and freedom, which is a a theme that's actually much more closely tied to Paul. I think you can make
1: a decent case that John was a free thinker, you know, like creatively. He's a very extremely creative, expansive sort of, you know, thinker and personality, you
0: know? right. And, it, and it, he is rebellious, too. Yes. He's not conventional. Yes. So, yes, he's got these two things going.
1: Yes. Right? And I think authors conflate that with a desire for freedom. And they're, they're not at all the same thing at all. No. And the thing is that for all of this nonsense, this whole narrative about how John was dying to get out of the smothering relationship, there is zero evidence. There's zero evidence of that. That's a horrible mischaracterization, I think. In 1968, we have loads of evidence that they're very, very
0: enmeshed. I'm sure Paul would have known and felt the same level of love and closeness that John felt. He just may have, you know, he may have been okay with it being the way it was, the status quo.
1: I think he was. I think he was. I don't think Paul was unsatisfied with the relationship the way that it was. My, my surface read of it is that she was at a a point with Jane where she was like, you have got to step up. Right. Like, I'm so sick of John. I don't want to hear about John anymore. I don't care if John's having fucking pro whatever. John's a drama queen. Right. Right. Of course he's having problems. Right. Oh, is he Jesus now? <laughs> yeah, let yeah. somebody else handle that. Paul. Yes. Yes. You know, like you're not his husband. Yes. Like let fucking Cynthia deal with yeah, it.
0: Yeah. Or Pete or somebody else or one of the other. or Whoever people's. the yes. fuck.
1: There's like 50 people around. Yeah. Somebody else can take care of that. It's not your job. Right. Your job is to be with me. You're my husband. Right. Right. Yes. And I think that she got to that point with him or that's, why that's why they got engaged and whatever happened in India or whatever. She took him back home and was like, no, we're going to stay focused on each other here. That's literally based on the actual evidence. Right. That we have. Right. And that that he, he was just focused on Jane at that time and he was trying to make it work with her. And he was trying to like follow through. It's impossible to say what would have happened if, you know, if John had never called Yoko or whatever, and if Paul and Jane really had gotten married, what, how would that have played out? It would have been ugly, I think. It would have come to an end one way or, another. Yeah. You know. let's just talk about this for a
0: second. You know, I've never thought this, this through, but it's an interesting idea that Jane and Paul get married and have a kid.
1: But let's, let's put it through. In fact, if, if we want to do this thought experiment, We have up until John drags Yoko into it, right? We know what happened. We know in May, in early May, that Paul and Jane were together and they were off doing their own thing. And we know that Yoko wasn't John's girlfriend yet. And those two weeks, we know that John was at the worst state of his whole life.
0: And there's the additional issue that we've talked about that John thinks that they have some kind of telepathy. So, you know, he might have concluded that Paul knows how how upset I am and has just chosen to not deal with it. I'm just
1: going to read some excerpts from Bob Spitz's biography on the Beatles. This is in the uh, period right when John came back from India. John was in a rage because God had forsaken him, George Harrison recalled. Then he went and completely reversed himself. He turned from being positive to being totally negative. According to Pete Shotton, who was spending time with John at Weybridge, there was an overriding feeling of humiliation. He was more fucked up than I'd ever seen him, Shotton remembers. It seemed like everything was going to the dogs. He'd been desperately grasping at straws. As far as I was concerned, and there wasn't even a straw there. And then they tell a story about a launch party for something called Bell Records on April 18th in London. John arrived already higher than a kite and drank so much champagne that he passed out at the table and had to be carried to his car. Something had to give. Friends agreed that getting John away might do him a world of good. Being alone with just Paul to study him might have a calming influence.
0: So there's a lot in that statement. First, John is distraught. He's coping with drugs and alcohol. A number of anecdotes of John taking acid.
1: Yoko apparently was around when these acid trips were happening, but he's not reaching out to her at this point. He's not uh, making any romantic moves to her and not thinking of her. No. In a romantic way. No,
0: this is all about John at this point. John feeling down and John taking yeah. a lot of drugs and feeling humiliated. And something has happened to really shake the foundation of John's confidence and sense of self.
1: One person who's conspicuously absent at this time is Paul.
0: Right. And I think the the later part of this statement in Spitz's book speaks to the fact that it was perhaps noticed by others that... Paul was not around and that that might have been detrimental to them because they seem to think it will be a good thing for John and Paul to spend some time together.
1: So John and Paul go to New York City together to launch Apple at the beginning of May and they stay at um, Nat Weiss's apartment for privacy and Linda Eastman comes by the apartment to visit Paul. Let's assume that Linda and Paul have a spark from the first time that they meet, which they both attest to. Yeah, yeah.
0: So this is a reconnection for them. And, and actually, we've got footage of Linda being at the press conference where uh, John and Paul were giving the conference.
1: Right. And her friend does a little story for some magazine, right? Like she takes some pictures of them. Yeah. Yeah. So. Linda,
0: Linda's taking photos of them. So Linda is around. Well, perhaps John doesn't notice or doesn't realize how significant she is until she's in the limousine, because that's what he references in 1971. You know, it's burned in his memory that that's when Linda actually got on his radar. Well, the thing is, is that,
1: like, if Paul is flirting with some photographer... I mean, what else is do, right. you know what I mean? Yes. It's like, that's Tuesday. That wouldn't necessarily have a huge impact. I mean, that's like, Paul's got to be flirting with like the waitress, the,
0: <laughs> you know, yes. the
1: old lady behind the counter. I mean, anybody. That, that's
0: right? just Paul. I guess you're right that specifically when all of a sudden John's getting in the limo and Linda's coming, that that would be a signal that, oh, he's really interested in this woman.
1: Well, yeah. First of all is that she gets invited Into the limo ride. And then secondly, because John is now trapped with them in this confined space. And so he's getting like a real visceral taste of how much they like each other. Right. If you know what I mean. Well, I think we've all been in a situation probably with a couple that's into each other. And it's awkward. Uh, know, very awkward.
0: F- very unenjoyable. Yes.
1: But if it's somebody that you have weird tension and jealousy with and that you might have some unresolved feelings for, that would be a fucking nightmare.
0: Right. Especially this weekend is apparently something that was supposed to be for them to reconnect.
1: Something about it is kind of shocking in almost offensive to John
0: right she's invading their space or something you know and and he doesn't know how she got in there
1: yeah like he's blindsided yeah or something
0: yeah you know he's weirdly mean to her in this in this interview like it's something he's not happy about the fact that she was there
1: oh yeah he's he dishes on her hard like just unnecessarily (laughs) bagging on her looks Here's the actual statement. John says, the first time I saw her was after the press conference to announce Apple in America. We were just going back to the airport, and she was in the car with us. I didn't think she was particularly attractive. I wondered what he was bothering having her in the car for. A bit too tweety, you know. But she sat in the car and took photographs, and that was it. And the next minute, she's married him.
0: Yeah, and he also says about meeting Linda, well, Paul had met her before. You see, I mean, there were quite a few women he'd obviously had that I never knew about. God knows when he was doing it, but he must have been doing it.
1: But with Linda, it was just like, boom, she was in, and that was the end of it.
0: John's confused, clearly, but do you think he's kind of like, what does she have? Yeah, I
1: think he was just like, that was, like, I knew it was just done. When you do feel, like, neglected or turned away or rejected by somebody... When they turn around and show interest in another person, especially if it's like enthusiastic interest, then you're always going to be comparing yourself to them. And you've
0: been like this bitch. That is how John yes. acts is that he, you know, his anger of being rejected is almost like compounded when he looks at Linda.
1: Did 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 fucking Linda write Strawberry Fields? Oh, I didn't think so.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, so I'm sure Linda's, like, between the two of them. Like, literally wedged between John and Paul, I'm assuming. Right. And it's exactly what he does with Yoko once he gets her. He literally, like, just sticks her between him and Paul, like a wedge.
0: Yeah. Whether or not it's kind of like, how does this feel to you? Or whether it's putting a barrier in, in that I'm just not going to be open to you anymore.
1: In retrospect, John seems to be saying that, like, I knew it was over when I saw them together, but I don't know if he did. You know, it's it, maybe that's just retrospect. Maybe he didn't really feel that in the moment. Maybe in the moment he was just like, Jesus Christ, another fucking when the fuck has he been dating
0: her? Right. Well, that he seems to be saying that, that he's surprised. He doesn't know when Paul, when Paul is having another life that he doesn't know about, which I think unsettles him. You know, it may be just a situation where he and Paul have reconnected during this weekend. You know, that they've spent some time together. Things Mm, have gone well. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's a little bit blindsided by, Linda joining them and sort of invading their space and it it just annoys him because there's always going to be another woman there's always going to be something in the middle of their relationship or their partnership and you know that could just have driven John crazy like enough of this shit
1: that's a feeling I get off of John from that, from that era is like enough I can't do this anymore I can't live like this anymore And then almost immediately after they get home, John takes a bunch of acid again, declares he's Jesus Christ in an Apple board meeting with the other Beatles. And then that night, um, invites Yoko into the house and has sex with her for the first time. And from that point forward, they are attached at the hip. We think it's very unlikely that these events are all coincidental. And by the way, we're not the only people to notice that.
0: Joshua Schenck actually remarked upon this in his book, The Power of Two. And he says, it's hard to believe, for example, that it's mere coincidence that John's Jesus freakout, immediately followed by his Yoko freakout, occurred just after he'd witnessed, at extremely close hand, a jolt of electricity between Paul and a woman named Linda Eastman. Two days after Paul brought his future wife in front of John, John found himself a new woman. End of part one, intermission. Hi, everyone. This is Diana. If you are enjoying listening to this podcast, please leave a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. It will really help other people find the podcast. And I love reading reviews, mostly if they are good. So please leave a good review. Um, Also, you can follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, all under the name Once We Dream Podcast. And you can email us at onesweetdreampodcast at gmail.com. Look forward to hearing from you. Bye. MSW.